you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk podcast. We help you build a thriving creative career. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza! You can stay up to date with all things Creative Pep Talk by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's get into today's episode. So we got our first factor meals and I am pumped to tell you about them. First off, we absolutely loved them. Delicious chef's kiss for the chef crafted dietitian approved meals that come straight to your door. I can definitely see how when deadlines are out of control or you're in a super busy season, how factor meals can lighten your load while still giving you options like veggie, vegan, and even low calorie Get as much or as little as you need by choosing six to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can even pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Head to factormeals.com slash peptalk50 and use code peptalk50 to get 50% off. That's code peptalk50 at factormeals.com slash peptalk50 to get 50% off. Hey, man. Hey, Andy. Uh, Ryan's here with me on the show. There he he is interrupting me. That wasn't part of the agreement. Nope. Uh, Well, Ryan was just sitting here, and I thought, why don't we just record the intro to this interview with Joey together? So we did. I'm ready. Let's do it. Okay. Uh, You know Joey Ellis? I do, yeah. How what are you what's your knowledge of this man? I know you collaborated with him on a on a creative endeavor. Um I'm a fan of his True. his storytelling, his illustration style. Yeah, he's good. He's got he's got a slick drawing style. Yes. Looks fantastic. He's got he's got real drawing chops. Uh so you're right. We did a collaboration. Uh we don't talk a ton. We don't set it up a ton. Because we get right down to just kind of like talking shop. Um, but we did a few years ago, we recorded a pitch with puppets, a TV pitch. A puppet pitch. Yeah, you saw it, right? I saw it. It's not online anymore, but it was for his property, Leaky Timbers. And uh, Leaky Timbers is, um, I, did you, <laughs> do you know where he got the idea for that? What the idea behind it is? I don't think I do, no. He talks about it in this a bit, but it's basically there's a part in Follow That Bird on Sesame Street, that movie, the the uh, Big Bird movie. Yeah. Um, where they he said like when he was a kid, they zoom out and he realized like Sesame Street, there's a bunch of streets and there gotta be like Muppets all over the place. And he said, like, what would the the Muppets that were not didn't have the TV budgets? What were their streets like? And that's Leaky Timbers, like an old motel. And how oh, that's interesting. What are the Muppets on Poppy Seed Street doing? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, so th- that's kind of the idea behind it. It's like a a, a low budget Sesame Street where there's all fast food and a bunch of crap. Um, so we did it. He he did a Kickstarter for a book a long time ago that w- went really well, and he made he got a puppet made for that, and he did the video with the puppet. Then every time he went and did a talk, he'd made a little puppet video to play beforehand with this character, Wolfie Monster. That's great. Yeah, it, it's amazing. And uh, it, and then that he decided after he did the Kickstarter for the for the comic book that he was going to create this uh, TV show pitch. And he flew me and Luke Flowers out there and Seth Worley 
and we like emptied out his playroom or he'd emptied it out. We didn't have to empty it out. Uh, and we just like played around for a few days and the product that came out of it is incredible. I wish it was it's hilarious. Still. It is. He's a, he's a legit writer, whether he says he is or not. Um, super hilarious. And he's a good Twitter follow too. He, you're not wrong. Yeah. yeah, he he has a lot of good humor coming through there. And Seth Worley knocked it out of the park uh, in terms of uh, direction and and effects. And and Seth Worley's brother Ben Worley, you might not know this, he did all the music for it. But he also he's the guy who did uh, Doctor Pizza. I don't know that reference. You don't know that? I'm I thought just you listened to the... Ryan. <laughs> Yeah, he that's Seth Worley's brother. And now Ben Worley uh, writes soundtracks for real movies. So that, I don't know. It's, they're still pitching that book. Uh, or they're still pitching the TV show pitch um, to a bunch of different places. So it's kind of, you know, and they took it offline. But he just had a graphic novel come out about Wolfie Monster and the big pizza battle. It it's, looks great. It is great. And my kids are crazy about it. Um, so we go into a bunch of different things. But one of the things that uh, we talk about that's been on my mind, I just want to like set it up a little bit, is this, I, I keep kind of going back to this thing of like, you've got like, if you'll just make a lot of stuff, every year you might make 50 things and like two or three of them are going to be great. Like... Does that make sense? Does yeah. That make sense? Like cream rises to the top. Yeah. And you're going to be like making a ton of stuff, but... It's not always like, uh, and it's not all that lot, lots of it will be good, but like some of it will be great. And I think that I've kind of, um, I feel like that it's taken the pressure off of me a little bit, um, not to phone anything in, but just in this like, and actually you make your best work when that pressure's off. So like, I think there's a lot of an analogies there, right? Like you'll never strike oil if you only drill once. Yeah. You can't win the lottery if you don't play the lottery. Exactly. I think it's also that idea of, um, you know, people talk about inspiration striking like lightning. Um, but if you like show up every day with the lightning rod, you're more likely to. Yeah. Catch if you're a storm else. chaser. Yes, exactly. And so I feel like, uh, we talk a little bit about this, but I've, I was thinking through, you know, you own like, yeah, you might only have like two or three great ideas a year, but you own all of those ideas. And we talk about Jim Henson in this and how he made tons and tons of things before Sesame Street and the Muppets ads and little specials and all this stuff. And like, even if they didn't go anywhere, he would pick like one character out of it and like roll that into the next project. Um, and so I don't know. That's There's just, there's just like, there's a few different threads that come through this conversation that... Um, that I think are, are, are really good. And that one we kind of build on. Um, so something interesting on that, are the greatest creators, artists prolific or are they great because they're prolific? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's the like chicken ladder. and egg, which comes yeah, first. I think it's the latter. I think it's honestly, uh, this Seth Godin thing, he says, if you want to have good ideas, have tons of bad ideas. Yeah. And I think it's just, you know, having this podcast has been great because, well, well, the other thing that happens is if you have three great ideas uh, this year and next year and the year after that and the year after that, you're not, they're not like, they're, they become your greatest hits. So like you can still play them. You can actually build on them 
you know, in the same way that he was taking these characters and adding them to the next thing. Right. And, and eventually you have this creative momentum in this vast lexicon of work that if you play into all of those colors and all of that stuff, you that's where I think creative genius comes from. How does that hit you? Like a wrecking ball. Like yeah. a Miley Cyrus in here. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was going to make a Taylor Swift reference when you said you have this great Lexa kind of work that you can always pull from because she can't. She can't. Oh, damn. There's another lesson. We talk about A lesson about, about owning your ideas. Yeah. Yeah. We talk about that too because Jim Henson was crazy about uh, not selling his characters. And we talk, Joey and I talk about how, um, you know, that's not always possible now. Like a lot of, he said, you know, a lot of companies, that's like a non-starter. Like if you're like, no, I won't sell anything. They're just like, okay. Right. I mean, that's, done. that's the reason Disney is what it is, is because they own ideas, they own the IP and they're able to build and grow and kind of leverage that in perpetuity. Yep. And it's, you know, I feel, I have mixed feelings about it. Honestly, I think, uh, you know, one mixed feeling with all of that is I loved Wreck-It Ralph too. <laughs> it's a good movie. <laughs> right? And I loved uh I loved ba- Lego Batman where, you know, because of the Lego having all this licensing, they can do Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings and Batman and all this stuff all together and like there's something about me that maybe I'm just a sucker for pop culture, but I also think it's kind of like our modern day mythology. Yeah, absolutely. This is going to turn into our movie podcast that we we're talking about. <laughs> I backdoored it. And, yep. <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, uh, that's what's about to come up. We got a bunch of, there's a, I wrote down, I'm going to, at the end of this, I'm going to kind of list a few of the key takeaways from the interview. Joey Ellis is a creative superstar. I think you're just, this book is just the first fruits of his creative genius. There's tons of things to come and I loved catching up with him. It's been, it had been a long time. You're going to love it. Thanks for, you know, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on fun. here. I hope that you're a, a regular. I hope you don't leave me like all of my other... We'll see. <laughs> there was no others. There's only ever been you. <gasps> all right, to the interview. This is just kind of random. I don't know if it'll go anywhere. But I'm interested in the um, where the first idea, the Sesame Street idea of zooming back, uh, where did that come from? How did that, how oh, did that come uh, to be? Follow that bird. So do you remember the Big Bird movie from yeah, way the, back the when? Yeah, the Big Bird movie. Yeah. So <laughs> there was, a, there was a, a, a Sesame Street movie called Follow That Bird, and it was all about Big Bird getting kidnapped. Oh, I was devastated. I was like four or five when that movie came out. I've I've yeah. still never been able to go back and watch it. Like it's it was that traumatic. Yeah. But and it has a happy ending. But like they they these it's guys pretty harsh to they, be like these, let's kidnap Big Bird. Yeah, well, like these two thugs. Like if I remember correctly, like they have some really terrible carnival, and they just happen to spot Big Bird one day, and they're like, wow, we could really sell some tickets if if we had Big right. Bird. <laughs> And so they steal him and then they dye him blue because he's the bluebird of happiness. Oh, I was wrecked. Like, it was like, oh yeah, it was, but there's this scene. I think it's at the, in the beginning of the movie or the very end of the movie where the camera like pulls back on Sesame street. And for the first time I realized like, wow, 
there's actually this world out there that, you know, clearly there are going to be more Muppets. I wonder what they look like. When so, you were little, you were thinking yeah, that? Yeah. So I've always, yeah. not that I was like, you know, I was six years old or four years old, however old I was, been like, well, I'm going to make a graphic novel about this idea. It was yeah. not like that. It was just more like, wow, there's a bigger world than just the the block that they live on. Um, uh-huh. And so uh, I just, you know, as I got older, it was, you know, I've always been into comics, wanted to make my own comics. And I, I think in comic making um, and movie making, any kind of storytelling, really, you kind of have yeah. to start off with what you know um, mm-hmm. and an idea that you're comfortable with. And especially in comics, you've got to do something that you can draw over and over and over and over and over again. And so I'm not one of the artists that can draw Spider-Man. Like I'm not going to draw some beautifully rendered human anatomy, like masterpiece. It's going to be circles and triangles and rectangles and stuff like that. Very loopy things. Um, And so that's when we first started thinking about doing the very first graphic novel, it was like, Oh, let's just take this idea of like Muppets and marry it with like the Simpsons and mix in some SpongeBob and base the Mm. characters off the simplest shapes ever and just kind of go from there. So anyway, I, man, I love that. I also, I've been thinking about, I just did a recorded an episode about this idea of dumpster diving in your hero's, uh, work or uh, like table scraps from the your creative gods like this idea of like y- you know a band that you love has one song on one record where they were exploring some sound that they never really touched ever again you were like that's their best song right. and then like t- leaping off of that and creating a whole body of work with that as inspiration or um but that's what it reminds you of this one little scene in that movie that's like, oh, you're not even exploring. There's all these other, and then, and also subverting it because clearly, like, Wolfie would never be on Sesame Street, like that, like that, uh, which is, which is so uh, amazing. But I love, like, I feel like those. I feel like we often think our creative heroes are making these enormous leaps of originality and creativity when really, even just the creative spark of thinking what you thought is a pretty huge leap that this whole world can come from. And I just think it's, I feel like more often than that, more often than not, uh, my favorite creative things are, have inception points that started just like that. Mm-hmm. And I think too, yeah. it, there, there's a, it, it has to mix in with a little bit of desperation as well. So mm. for example, yeah. um, you know, if, if gosh, we need this, we need a main character for this graphic novel that we can draw a thousand times right, and yeah. we've got to come up with it right now because it's, it's blocking everything out. So let's just knock this out. So Wolfie's design is literally a triangle and a circle with big loopy arms and, and it's, that's it. I don't think there's a, yeah. there's not a, a straight line on his body. It's just all curves yeah. and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. And again, it kind of came out of that desperation where it's like, yes, we were very inspired by the Muppets, but then like, we've got to create our own character and I want to move forward. I want to own it and make it my own thing. And yeah. I think you can kind of look back at uh, anybody's work and they have, They've based their idea off of someone else's and then in an act of desperation have changed it to adapt to whatever opportunity they have. And, and it, it kind of goes from there. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah. Yeah. The, uh, okay. I want to go back to where you're talking about showing up at this, 
um, was it was a comics festival here? Yeah, so he, we call it? Hero, yeah. Heroes Con in Charlotte, which if if anyone's in the the region, like Heroes Con in Charlotte's one of the best comic conventions that you can go to. Yeah, and so were you. I feel like I really relate to your journey of ups and downs, like you're just by your own admission talking about like, oh, and that was the season when I was feeling like uh, I'm an idiot. Nobody likes anything that I'm doing. And then, you know, I, I'll speak for myself. I'll go from that season to, you know, I have all the best ideas in the world and everything's going to be amazing. Right. And I just like roller coaster up and down all the time from that. Um, but it sounds like, you know, the, I'm guessing the Kickstarter was a high when you self-published this thing and people really came out for it and were crazy about it and thought and probably feeding you all kinds of possibilities of where this is going to go to now I've got to sell a thousand books and it's harder than I thought it was. How did you, how did you stay interested enough or confident enough to even continue to do festivals when you were getting those rejection letters? It's, it's really hard. Anybody that, um, I think any, any kind of an artist, uh, that has gone to a convention and, and sat at a table <laughs> yeah. has my absolute respect. That that is, Me I too. I think that that is that is literally the front lines of art and business, where it you is. are sitting there, and you've got the the picture that you've drawn, and you're like, can I I want to sell this to you for real money, and <laughs> you know and I, people walk by and like. Mm. Right. There's a bunch of different reactions, but and yeah, so there's lots of very offensive ones. And yeah, it's, it is a very odd feeling and it's, uh, it's a very humbling experience. And, you know, I've, I've been in this field now for 20 some odd years. And so over the years I've had opportunities to do really, really great things and, and things that have garnered me a lot of success and a lot of publicity and Um, Mm. I say that because it's, it's a very difficult feeling to, you know, I've, I've had the wonderful opportunity to do things with like, um, uh, the NFL, for example, where, uh, some animation had gone on like national television. Mm -hmm. And so you go from, look at me, I'm so amazing. I am a a genius with my NFL artwork. I just, I can't believe, you know, you guys are so lucky to know me. You, you go from that to the next day you're sitting at a table alone in some city without your family, desperately trying to sell your $12 Muppet ripoff comic and no one's buying it. And you're like, what? Don't you realize I'm a, you know, I'm an, I'm an illustrative yeah. genius who had their stuff yeah. on, on national television last night, you know? And so it's, oh, it's so difficult to like, not just go insane where Mm. You know, to, to, uh, again, anybody that does conventions has my utmost respect because, Me too. uh, it is, it is a deeply, deeply humbling experience and whatever preconceived notions that you think you have about your place in the industry or whatever status you think you have achieved absolutely erases the minute you go onto a convention floor, you start all over again. Yeah. And so I, it, it it really kind of helps balance you out, uh, especially if you're doing something very, very public, like releasing a book. Um, you kind of, you, you can take the hits a little bit better. And what, am I, what I mean by that is, 
you know, having a book with Scholastic um, open, no one cares who you are. So when you have uh, a book that's released through a major, major publisher, it goes to all the review sites. So you've got like, yeah, this is like, you know, this, we don't, as illustrators, we don't experience until you get into this world, you don't experience what like musicians get. Right. Oh and, yeah. You know, right. Yeah. And, Which I've only had a taste of, but yeah, I, I know what you're saying. And there, they were it's with the wolf, the wolfy monster book, you know, it's, it's not a, when I, I'm a first time writer. I've never written it. Like what's a character arc? Like, okay, now I know what it is, but did I know that while I was writing the book? no. Um, so, you know, I would say that the reviews of the book have been mostly probably 80 to 90% very, very positive. Mm -hmm. And the, the major players all gave it really good reviews. They saw it for what it was. They're not like, this is not going to like set your hair on fire. It is a, it's a fun read. That's what it is. It's like, it's it's like a Saturday morning cartoon, which is exactly what it is. But man, there were some really, really brutal reviews. Like, absolutely. Yeah. Like, oh my (laughs) Lord. Like, basically questioning whether or not I had a mental handicap. I'm not joking. Like, (laughs) yes. I'm not going to, I'm not going to link it. I'm, it's, it was really, really bad. Um, yeah, it was, it was awful. Yeah. What? Oh, it was. What? Yeah. I I know there's a few, uh, especially, I know there's a, from some of my friends, there's a few that are kind of like the pitchfork media of kids books and, and graphic novels that are real snobby. And, oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. We'll put three. Yeah. So ridiculous. I, you know, you still get beat up over that. So I was miserable for like three or four days, but I was yeah. glad that I had this convention experience where, I mean, I've gone to conventions for years and years and years. And so you just kind of know that, there's going to be people that really like your stuff and there's going to be people that hate your face and want to want you to die on the floor right in front of them. And you just kind of have to say, you know what, that's them. That's not me. If they really hate what I'm doing, that's more of a reflection of what they like versus me as a person. Um, Sure. Some days. I also think what we're going to say, I was going to say some days that's a really easy thing to deal with and other days it's not a very easy thing to deal with so no anyway i think uh it, it also you know being on the convention floor i feel like it reminds me of something i talk about on the show all the time which is how comedians write on stage and this idea of um you know what brene brown i guess she's quoting theodore roosevelt this idea of being in the arena and i think of like there is something to getting past the fear of hearing what people really think and seeing how they interact with things and, and taking that on board. One of the things that I have been thinking a lot about uh, lately is, you know, every, every musician or band or uh, artist or writer or whatever, I feel like we all, it's clear we all have blind spots. Like it's just, that's really clear to me. And I've just been really desperate recently to kind of try to find mine. And if, and one of the only ways that you can find it is getting your stuff in the arena and getting kicked. And like, I know that like sometimes, like sometimes it's, it, uh, people are either being unfair. Sometimes people are, it's really just about their taste, whether they like it or not. And then sometimes they're right. And it's like, yeah, okay, well, you know, if, if I think this joke is hilarious and I get on stage and say it and nobody laughs, who's right? Like, <laughs> it's not funny. And, and you have to, and there's, you know, you can workshop it, you can write it differently. You can, but you know, you, you just continue to evolve. So I respect that idea of 
to me, there's a higher form of creativity when all of a sudden you're in a, in a realm where you're getting critique and you're, yeah, but it's most artists, uh, especially people in the visual world don't ever have that experience. And, uh, it's, it can be brutal, but I think it, there's a lot of positive things that can happen from it. And I think too, the way that I've had to deal with kind of the, uh, any kind of negativity and stuff like that, or, or maybe not feeling like you necessarily belong here. Um, yeah. You know, the way that I kind of deal with it is, all right, I'm going to do the best I can today and I will learn whatever I can and try to be better tomorrow. And you just take it one day at a time. And so mm. that, gives me a lot of peace. Like it basically gives me, so if someone comes after me or, or there's a negative review, there's a way to kind of say, all right, just let that be. And we're going to, is there anything I can learn from that? And if there is yeah. great, let's, let's be better tomorrow. Let's, you know, yeah, they raise a valid point and we should, sure. we should do this for the next book and cross our fingers that there will be a next book, that kind of thing. So. Yeah. Did you uh, read uh, the Brian J. Jones yes. Henson biography? Yes. Uh, well, I I have some thoughts about that that I think relate to some of this. But what was your? I'm about halfway through it. I think. Um, what was your takeaway on what was his real gift? Like I. Because I think it's not what anybody would have guessed it was. Because once you get into the thick of how all of this actually happened, I think I get a new perspective on all of that. But I'm curious what your takeaway from that was. I think uh, I've got two takeaways. The first one was that I, I think Henson was uh, very business savvy. He, I think one of the mistakes that, that um, I certainly make and that a lot of other creative makes is that we don't value ourselves. It's taken me a really long time to finally have the nerve to overcharge and just try to get mm. as much and say, I'm worth this crazy amount of money. And yeah. sometimes you get it and sometimes you don't, but it's really taken me a long time to kind of build up to that point. And I think from a very, very early age, he already had that as part of his psyche, if you want to call it that. He was never afraid to say, one, I'm never selling my characters, and two, this yeah, is... Yeah, that's a crazy thing I kept, I, that kept coming back now, is that he refuses to sell these characters. One thing to think about, though, and that people need to remember is that he came from a different time. You would not be able to do that nowadays. Right. So, for example, right. um, now, the good news is that I own Wolfie. That is one of the sure. beauties of Scholastic. I, I love them to death. I get to keep my precious little blue monster and all his friends. So that's fantastic. Um, But let's say, for example, um, you know, you had a character and what was that? What was your puppet's name? When did it? Reggie. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it was. So let's say, you know, (laughs) why are we bringing that into this? Because we're just going to talk about puppets. That's just where we're going. So, um, you've got Reggie. Nobody's ever heard of that on the podcast. I've never talked about it. I think about it quite often. I think, I think about it quite often. Anyway, (laughs) my friend, I, I did that character so often, like in my family circle, my (laughs) brothers and sisters, it's talked about nonstop. Uh, but anyway, what what were you saying? So you currently own this character, but like if you were to go to Netflix or somebody else, there's a 99% chance that they're going to 
demand ownership right. Yeah, demand. Whereas, you know, back during Henson's day, there just wasn't quite the same understanding of ownership. Like, um, you know, he created a new form of character. And so no one really thought like, you know, oh, this is a huge value. And so when he negotiated it to own all these characters, it wasn't as hard as it is today. Um, Trying to own what you create these days is almost a non-starter with a lot of companies. And that's really, Mm. really frustrating. So if Scholastic... A lot of people don't know that he... All of this cast of characters of the Muppets and were things that were created over time, yes. often for other brands like yes. ads and, you know, Cookie Monster was a serial monster originally, but, and right. all those companies wanted to buy the characters outright and he refused all the way through. And, but yeah. they continued to work with him, which is amazing. Cause nowadays I yeah. feel like they would have just been like, oh, okay, thanks. And then they would have gone True. to the next person. So that was the yeah. first thing is that I think that from a very early part of his career he understood what his value was was not afraid to ask for that um i think the second part is that um he was not afraid to call it quits and move on to the next Mm. idea so you know he ended the muppet show in the height of its popularity Mm. think about that for a minute he probably could have he probably could have done 10 more seasons of the muppet show um and he just kind of said i'm ready to just stop this idea I've explored it as much as I can, and now I want to go do some other things. Um, mm. And so he was just not afraid to just stop halfway through an idea. Or, or to, to us, it seemed like it was halfway through. To him, it was finished. Sure. But just to say, nope, we're going to go on to the next thing. Um, yep. And you know, he was not afraid to just say, look, if there's a demand, then I'm going to continue to do this. If there's no demand, I'm going to move on to the next thing. And so what was really cool about thinking about that way is – Henson never said, if people think I suck, then I'll stop. What he was really saying is, if people don't like what I'm doing, then I'm just going to move on to the next thing. And so it was almost yeah. like, I don't care. Like if, there's a pivoting that happens. I don't care. Like every if, time. Yeah. I, I value myself and I value my ideas and I value my creation. But if there's no audience for it, then I'll just move on to the next thing. And so I think that's a much healthier way to approach things where, you're saying I'm valuable. I have valuable ideas. I know I can do this. And so if people don't like blue, then I'm going to switch to red, but I'm going to keep doing yeah. it. And so I, I try to, yeah, that, I think that's true. I try, say? I try to remember, you know, when I'm down in the dumps, we talking about that roller coaster. And when you're in the, yeah. in the valleys, it's, it's all right. Remember like they're not rejecting you. They're just rejecting this particular idea and you've got a lot more ideas. So just let's, let's, try to make another one and let's, let's try to go back up this hill. And I think even beyond that, it's interesting because, uh, you know, again, what you're seeing is they did so many things that led to the big successes like the Muppets Mm -hmm. that where they would do a, a special and the special didn't do that well, but they got Sweetums out of that, or they got, you know, they're these little breakthroughs that they never, even though he started new things, he always carried on things that were working and worked that into the next. And he was always learning every single thing that they started over, always had some essence or some breakthrough from a previous work. And it was always, it was always fresh. It was always new. He was always pioneering a new thing, but he was never starting from scratch. It was almost always picking up it from something he'd already learned. And I think too, you know, he had a really hard time selling the idea of the Muppet show. And I forget the guy's yeah. name. It was the big TV producer in Great Britain. And I cannot remember what his name is. I know. I can't remember his name either, but yeah. But basically he was like, 
I love this. Let's do it. And so, yeah. you know, if you, so as one guy, if you kind of go back to the Kyle Webster thing, like I hope there's a Kyle Webster out there for everybody where it's that one special person that's going to open that door for you. And that's all it takes. You just have to be there at the right moment at the right time. And you know, that kind of, and be ready. That, yes. Be, yeah, be ready. But that, that gets me to like, I think uh, I was curious to see how this hits you. Cause my takeaway was kind of two things. One talking to you, I'm thinking about how, his energy and confidence behind what he was doing like to to continue with this idea of the muppet show everyone told him like this they had they'd already had a successful show with sesame street it was huge and he everyone told him like this is just a kid's show we don't need another one of those like and he had this idea of what the muppet show would be and what probably he, he ended up being most famous for uh and he just kept he just believed in it so hard that he kept pushing it and, and pressing it and reinventing it. And, and I just think, um, so I feel like one part of his gift was that creative confidence and energy over the ups and downs that just never stopped believing in himself somehow. And then the other one that I thought was really interesting, and I want to hear your opinion on both of these, is that that whenever I, th like I'm all, you know that Jim Henson's my hero as well. And I think I always, I never really thought about what's his gift, but I always, if you would have stopped me and asked me before I read that, I would have said, well, character creation, story writing, like all this different stuff. Then once you get into the book, you're like, hmm, it's not that clean because he did come up with characters, but he also had a lot of collaborators that changed them or added to them. He didn't write a lot of the stories. Like, he, you know, they had, uh, Jerry Jewell, I think his name is, like a lot of writers. A lot. He did, you know, he did a lot of these ideas, but to me, the gift ended up being none of that would have happened without that creative energy. Without him, none of the, none of the Henson stuff would have happened, but he also could never have done any of it without all those people. And, uh, and so I, there's something about that confidence and that energy and that belief in himself and the and what they were doing that ended up being the most valuable thing in the actual foundation of his legacy. And I just find that very interesting. And it's it's similar to what you're describing of, you know, just the ability to to go through the rejection and then still show up to the uh, convention uh, and and go to the con and see and go through the rejection of even just people walking by your booth, like all of that stuff. Does does that make sense? Did you is that a similar uh did that, was that your experience reading it yeah, too? I, like the other thing is that I, and I, I believe in this is that, um, there's a, there's a certain amount of like, uh, he had a lot of personal issues. So I want to, I want right. to talk about integrity. So there were certainly sure. parts of his life where he did not have integrity. And I, right. I really struggled with that as someone who I looked up to. And then you hear how he treated people personally. There was a lot, especially his family. It was, it was difficult. Yeah, to, some to, issues. It was difficult to go through, but um, it's this idea of integrity. And, and I bring this up because to me, if you really want to be successful in anything that you're doing, you have to have that integrity. And what I mean by that is you've got to do what you say you're going to do. And it's got to be mm -hmm. the big things. It's got to be the little things. If I say, Hey, let's go out for lunch tomorrow, then, then go out for lunch tomorrow. Or, Hey, 
If you, yeah. Hey, if you put that on a t-shirt, I'll buy that t-shirt. Please buy it. Right. Having the integrity to say, <laughs> all right, I told Andy that I would buy that t-shirt and yeah. maybe my bank account's not as, as big today as I would have liked, but I promised him I'd buy that t-shirt. So I'm going to yeah. do it. And so mm -hmm. the reason that integrity is so important is that, and, and, and having integrity with, with yourself. But, uh, the reason integrity is so important is that, uh, if people believe in what you say, like, oh, if, if he says he's going to do that, then I firmly believe he's going to do that. Then it, it's an easier buy-in. So, uh, you know, when we were doing the, the TV pitch with Leaky Timbers with the mm -hmm. puppets and everything, my wife didn't bat an eye because she knew that I wasn't just making something up. I was like, hey, you know what? We ought to just strip out our playroom and film a puppet show for a couple of weeks and spend thousands of dollars on this whole thing. She didn't bat an eye. She's like, all right, let's work together and yeah. make this thing happen because, you know, she and I just, we just follow through with what we, what we do. And I would encourage, you know, people listening out there to do the same thing is have that integrity because when you do finally have that big idea, uh, for example, you know, maybe you wake up one day and you're like, my God, I've got to write a children's book. Well, if, if you've been in the habit of following through, then people believe you. And that's so important because anytime you set out to do some really big creative thing, there are going to be peaks and valleys and you need people to cheer you on. I don't care how successful you are. You're always going to need that person to cheer you on. And so if they believe in you because you have that integrity, they're going to fuel you and they're going to keep going. And I think Jim had a lot of that uh, professionally where it's like if, if, he, yeah. if he was like, we're going to do it this way, then they did it that way. Or if he said, you know what, Frank, Frank Oz, that's a much better yeah. way of doing that. Let's do it your way. And, and sure enough, the final product was the way Frank wanted it. And so it's that integrity yeah. to where people just feel like, you know, not only that, be the same person. So I don't care who you are, if mm -hmm. it's just you and me. You know, if my kids were to walk in right now, I'm the exact same person that I am to you as that they see every day. Mm -hmm. If you get to have dinner with the Queen of England, please be the exact same person that you would be with her than you would be with, yeah. with you know, your neighbor across the street. And I think that would really, really help, uh, you know, if you're really trying to build something really, really big, then it, it, it helps to have that integrity. So anyway, that's my dad. Yeah. That's my dad moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's really interesting because I don't, I don't often talk about the idea of discipline or integrity or, you know, having that integrity with yourself, um, because those are, uh, difficult conversations, you know, on this podcast, I mean, I, because for me personally, I'm someone who, like, I, I think it's easy. We all know those type A people where that just is second nature. Like just, just doing what they said they're going to do, they always did that. They, and, you know, being disciplined and showing up on time always has been a, is the easiest thing to them. And I think it's, uh, you know, to your point, I feel like those are things that are the opposite of easy for me. Mm. I, I have, you know, I was, I'm a very addictive person. I, uh, I have all kinds of problems, but I lived like, uh, kind of a monastic uh, lifestyle for most of my college years. And then even several years after that, just deeply trying to train myself in discipline. Uh, and I think that 
finding a philosophy or a foundation or so, something to tame your personal life is so essential. I feel like you see this with so many great creators. Yeah, a lot of creators uh, go off the deep end, but a lot of the people that are able to sustain that integrity, show up and do the works consistently over the long haul, at some point or another found some rock to build that discipline on and practice it. Um, you know, my buddy, Go Shrimp, uh, Dan um, Bandit, the original background designer for uh, Adventure Time, he and I come from such different perspectives, but we have that thing in common. And he brings these ghost scouts out to his camp and he makes them exercise and build cabins and do yoga and just they, just this mental strength. He talks, he's a big runner and he's like, you know, I do it because yeah, it's good for your mind and it's good for your body. But just that saying, I'm going to run every other day and then doing it consistently changes how you see yourself and yes. in, in that relationship to yourself. And I wish it wasn't important because it doesn't come, it didn't come easy to me, oh, me neither. but there was yeah. a crucible of time where I learned that. And I'm still, I still make mistakes on it, but I'm also, you know, a lot of people that would watch me now would probably consider me like, um, a workaholic or someone who's a little bit too disciplined even. Um, but yeah, I, I'm glad you said that because it, it's not something we talk about a lot. Yeah, and it, and it definitely, and, and just because someone, you know, just because I can sit here and say, oh, you should have integrity, does not mean that I sure. that I am 100%, you know, right. we all fall short of what we really want to be. Um, and it, it, it is, it, it, it's very difficult to be who you really are all the time, um, yep. especially when our mood changes so much as well. Um, but yeah, it's, I would just encourage people to just do the little things. Like, again, if you say you're going to go meet someone for coffee, please go meet them for coffee. If you said that you were yeah. going to show up to their, hey, you're at this convention, cool, I'll be there on Saturday, please go. Because you may very well be the only person that goes to see them at that convention. Because I have certainly had that happen. Um, yeah. And so those little things will help build up your confidence and it'll build up those networks and you never know when, you know, you're going to rely on those, on those people. Yes. You never know when Kyle Webster is going to be there. Right. Uh, that's right. Um, so let's talk about, uh, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about the TV pitch. Yeah. Um, and just talk about you and I, I feel like you and I are very similar in that we have these big goals that energize us. And sometimes they distract us because it's so easy for us to want all or nothing, or it's so easy for us to dream up this huge end goal and not want to accept anything in between. For me personally, I go around the country doing a talk about, you know, wanting to skip to the final boss from the start of the game. Right. Like that's just how I, oh, I just, that's the way I think. Cause I can see it, right. I can see that, that creativity and that vision it allows you to be like, yeah, I could, I could see where this is going. Let's go straight there and just skip all that crap in between. Um, and I think that uh, anybody that saw the TV pitch that you made that I got to be a, a small part of, um, every person I know, and I know people in TV. I know people who know what they're talking about with crazy experience, freaking flipped over this thing. It's 
brilliant to say that we made that in your playroom right <laughs> like to go from that to what it became is insanity right. right and and not only that some the integrity of saying you know we went to a conference and we were in a hotel room together me and you and Luke and you're writing you know you're reading through the script and I think there's part of me because that's before uh you know some of my bigger commitments had kind of come through I'm thinking is this really gonna happen yeah. like <laughs> what are we doing like you're, you're, what is this? Is this a real script? What's happening right now? So you're like, yeah, because we need to go over it because you're going to come out to Charlotte and film this thing. And I'm like, yeah, sure, man. How many friends, you know, say that, and right? It never happens, um, right? And it never happens. Right. And so, you know, I think uh, to me, anybody that's had a taste of the the pitch knows how brilliant it is. Uh, in terms of the way that these things evolve, it's still early days to see what happens f with the TV side of things. But in the meantime, the book deal worked out and you had to put your head down and freaking put in the time. Um, so yeah, I just love to hear you speak about, I could maybe ask a real question instead of just giving a broad prompt, but no, it's fine. I'd love to hear how this has kind of gone, gone it's, over for you. It's, it's easier for me to talk about the book because there's been concrete success. Hey, we actually have a yeah. published book. And so it's, it's a little bit more difficult to talk about the TV stuff just because there hasn't been the success yet. And when I say difficult, I don't mean like, oh, I'm going to get sad about it. It's more like, oh, I wish I had a better ending for you. Like, I sure. like, like you said, I feel like we've just kind of started on the journey. So for anyone out there who um, is like, what are these two idiots talking about? Yeah. So um, <laughs> we are still currently, we, um, when we did the Kickstarter, you know, you have to have a video and I, for Leaky Timbers. And I was like, well, I don't want to do myself it'd be really funny if the characters were were the ones selling the idea for the book and they did such a terrible job at selling the book that they actually never sold the book they just talked about a whole bunch of other stuff so we made a wolfy mm. monster puppet uh, a guy phil hatter in virginia helped uh design the puppets they're beautiful puppets um so we had yeah. a wolfy monster puppet made and so he did kickstarter and then we made uh, big brother roy who's this big yellow behemoth of a monster that takes like two people to control uh, and then Jackson, who was your character, was also a very big puppet. Um, yeah. So once the Kickstarter was done, we had done all these videos to support the book. And we kind of had two different audiences. We had people that, that liked the comic. And then we had people that liked the puppet show. And they're like, oh, you should, you should totally do something with these puppets. The book sucks, but you mm. should you should do something with the with the puppets, <laughs> and so that's how we always hear it. They didn't say it; it was implied. Right, like, right. Yeah. So yeah. Um, we were like, "Well, it's you know, it's kind of like what I was telling you earlier. It was almost like, all right, we have two horses, and we're going to race them at the exact same time." And so uh, we decided to uh, work with Seth Worley, who's a good friend of mine, great director. Um, brought Brilliant. him in to kind of, you know, actually do a professional job filming and, and helping me write a script for these characters. Um, so, you know, we brought Luke Flowers in, brought you in. Uh, my wife, Erin, was kind of the production manager of the whole thing. And, and we just, we mm -hmm. hadn't, we didn't know what we were doing and we just made it. Yep. Um, again, no one gave us permission to make a TV pilot. We have no business making a TV pilot, but we did. Um, currently, you cannot find it online. Um, we have, we're currently in the pitching process. And so we have yeah. decided to pull everything down so that people that are viewing it at, at, uh, the, who, you know, wherever we're pitching it, uh, aren't like, wait a minute, I've already seen this. Like we we're hoping that they haven't seen it yet. That kind of thing. So we've, we've, yeah. been, we've been pitching for a very, very long time. Um, yep. 
but you may go to uh, my website, joeyellis.com, which has not been updated in a long time. Uh, but <laughs> you actually can still see uh, the very first, I think, square on my website is is the Leaky Timbers TV pitch. So you can see stills from the video. Um, yeah, that's brilliant. But, uh, but yeah, it's TV is very, very, very different from book publishing. And uh, I think that when you are fortunate enough to be able to race two different horses at the exact same time, when you've got an idea that can work on two different mediums, if you will, you kind of have to go with what the opportunity is. And so for us, the yeah. opportunity was the book. And so yep. I've got other people that are helping me with the TV show. I, I actually, I'm just kind of sitting in the back seat right now. Um, but, uh, the book is like, that's the opportunity that we have. So we're going to work on the book and we're going to do everything that we can to promote the book. And maybe it'll lead to a talk about the TV show again. Um, one of the really cool things about the book is right before we went to press, we had an extra page that were like, Oh, we didn't do the math. Like I, it's my very first book. I don't mm. know what I'm doing. Sure. So like you, you, the math of books, by the oh way, my Lord. is not really conducive to being a creator. No. Like that's, no. it's, I, I, dude, I hate it. Every time they're like, yeah, it's like a four, four, 48 pages uh, across four. And I'm like, wait a second. Yeah, what? I don't, no, I, I, I hate I, it. I'm the same way. I'm so thankful for like InDesign for just laying out my book. I don't have to think about that's it. That's why I just can't, can't somebody give, just give me the InDesign template. Right. <laughs> I'll put everything in there. Why do I have to? Know about, uh, you know, my four times yes. tables to get there. But anyway. Um, so uh, what are we talking about? <laughs> you got me thinking about signatures about... and book pages. And I'm like, uh, my brain <laughs> yeah. just. I know. Now what way off. You're talking about uh, you had an extra page. Oh, yeah. In the book. So we had an extra page in the book. And they uh, were like, oh, you got to come up with something like today. And I was like, oh, what if we could we put some photos of the puppets in the book? Just as oh, like a, cool. oh, this is what we look like in real life. And they're like, yeah, sure. We just need yes. it by end of day. And so I'm very thankful that there is a spread in the new Wolfie Monster comic where at the very back you get to see the puppets. And so it was kind of a mm. nice moment where it's like, you know what? If that's all there is, if there's never another book, if the TV pitch never goes anywhere, at least you have this singular thing where at the very end you get to see the puppets. And if this is that's out in the world in a public, and if book. this is all there is, I can live with that. It's good. And, and I felt that way. And I still feel that way with the TV pitch where I wanted to do it. I've always wanted to do my own Muppet show. We did it. We did it to the best of our ability. I don't regret a single thing that we did. I'm so thankful yeah. that we followed through on what we said we were going to do. And we did it to the best of our ability and we were really proud of it. I still am. And again, if yeah. nothing ever happens, at least that, that door is closed. I, I, there's no questioning. I think if you do have these big dreams and you, you never act upon them, you spend the rest of your life thinking, what if, or yes, thinking that you're really good at something where it's like, oh, I, I wish, right. I wish I had done figure skating because I know for a fact that I would be a brilliant figure skater. And then, you know, you actually go out on the, the, the ice one day and, and it come to find out you're a terrible ice skater. And at least yeah. you, you now can close that door and not worry. About you can it. eliminate a path. You, you can, can eliminate it, you a know, path. Yes. Right. So and that's the power of making it happen. But I, you know, what I find really interesting about all that is 
everybody on this podcast knows that, and they're sick of me saying it, but I'm so obsessed with the idea of non-dual thinking and this idea of, you know, how can you hold two ideas in your head at the same time? Um, because it's, that's kind of always necessary. And I think, honestly, I think in 10 years, we're going to, we're going to look back at the way that you, I described it in an earlier conversation with you as you had your eye on the touchdown, which is like, this is the ultimate thing I want to do. But you had yourself in the present of that. We just need to get the next first down. Like we just need to be in this play. I need to be focused on the book so that I can get another book, get another first down. And then, yes, I can see out in the horizon. I could see the possibilities of merchandising shows, these larger property, all these spinoff things, this giant thing. And I feel like there's this ability to exist in both spaces, having the the long play strategy in your back pocket as you're making decisions, but being totally present and happy to be enjoying the moment to moment thing. Um, and I think that there's, you've got to, it's a tension. It's, it's, it's hard to do both of those things, but I feel like that's where the action happens. Um, and has that kind of been your process that are you feeling that? Yeah, I think, I think it's, it's always, you can have the big goal, but you're not going to build Disneyland in a day, but, but go ahead. Yeah. If that's what you want to do, then you can go ahead and, and pin that up on your, on your, on your wall. But you need to yeah. set goals for yourself that are very attainable. Otherwise you're going to give up like, you know, and maybe a goal could be, you know what? I want to go to this comic book convention and sell 10 copies of my book. Okay, now that's a very attainable goal. And that's something that you can work towards. And so then when you sell 12 copies, then you're like, well, maybe, I, maybe I'm actually okay at this. Whereas if, uh, you know, I think very early on, I thought that this was going to be a very quick thing where it was like, oh man, you know, we're going to have all these people being like, this is brilliant, like just throwing us bags of money to make whatever, you know, a book yeah. or a TV show or whatever. And what we found out caves was- of money. Yeah, caves of money. Uh, what we found out was, is that, you know, there was a lot of positive feedback and then zero action. And so I learned really, yeah. really fast and really, really hard that, you know, gosh, a whole lot of people can really like your thing, but it, you know, it's going to take that one person to actually make it happen. Um, but what can we do in the meantime to get that forward momentum to kind of keep going. And so it is, what are the actual stepping stones? Right. And so for right now it's the book. And so that's cool. And so yes. if you think of, uh, with these characters, we've got lots of different mediums that they can exist in. And so to me working on, you know, taking, you know, going to speak to an elementary school about Wolfie monster is a forward step in, yeah. possibly doing a TV show one day or, or whatever the end result. I have no idea. I think you can move the goals too. So, you know, if you want to keep it, sure. keep it uh, in football terms, Sports, yeah. we're always taught that you shouldn't keep moving the goal line, but that's totally okay to keep. Cause I think you mm -hmm. always have to reassess like, okay, maybe selling a million copies of my book. That's stupid. I, I thought yesterday right. I could do it. Now I realize that like, no one on the history of the, the planet has done that in a day. And that's a really stupid goal. So maybe, inst yeah. maybe instead of selling a million copies, let's sell 10. So it's yeah. totally okay to go back and, and kind of move from new vantage point. You, yes. you realize what's possible and yeah, right. exactly. But I think, uh, I think that there's that what I hear you saying is, you know, the ultimate goal was a, has guided you. 
But the reward of that goal is not where you have to find the joy. If you're not finding the joy in the process of making the book, you're in the wrong game altogether. Oh, the process is, that's it. So that's, I think that the, um, so Bob Shea is a really great author, illustrator, really, really funny guy. He's really well established. He's awesome. Um, and so he gave me some really great advice about, um, kind of like the highs and lows of, of, we were talking about book publishing, but this could be applied to probably any kind of creative pursuit. Yeah. The moment where you're in the middle of making the thing, that's it. There you go. So the day that the book ends up on the shelf, I don't know how you're going to feel for me. I didn't really feel anything special because I knew all the work that had gone into it and I had already envisioned this magical day. And so when it came true, it was like, Oh, okay, cool. And then, yeah. And it's almost always the final product is almost, I feel like you go through all the blood, sweat and tears to where, you know, it's hard to really enjoy it anyway. You you know, you see all the mistakes, like all the, you know, whatever. And if you can't, while you're making it, you can't feel any of the joy. You're in the wrong business. The making it is the high. That's, that's the highest point of the, is, is you, having the opportunity and you're in the middle of making it because the the possibilities are endless and you feel alive and and not to say that there won't be highs and lows in that process but i've certainly found that uh the making of the big thing is is the most rewarding part of it i admire this idea of kind of leaning into what comes naturally to Mm -hmm. you because i think there's a you know, I think there's an intuitive side to being a creative person where you kind of have a sense of what the world wants from you. What, like, I think, you know, when you're in school, there's a, if you have that intuitive sense, you can, you can determine whether you're popular or cool in this environment. And if you're not, the temptation is to change yourself, right? And to try to be something you're not. And, and, and I think that there's this, um, yeah, I think that that's kind of the curse and the blessing of the creative person to be able to see, to have that empathy and then also real, you know, realize like, yeah, I'm still going to do my own thing even if it's not going to be for everybody or it's not going to be the thing that gets the awards and the accolades. And it takes a really long time to get to that point, to be 100% yeah. comfortable in your own skin. And, and I don't know if you ever get to that point. I have no idea. I know I'm certainly mm. not. There will be times where you know, especially at conventions where I wish I was someone else. I wish I was some yeah. super famous author who had a billion books and a line out the door because it would make this time pass because, you know, when mm-hmm. my wife calls and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I've got five hours left. And she's like, how's it going? I want to be like, well, honey, you know, lighting my <laughs> cigar with hundred dollar bills and be like, everything's fine. Yeah. You know, I don't want to be like, well, you do. You're always smoking cigars. That's the other thing. That's weird. I, do. <laughs> I don't want to tell my family at conventions, like, you know, hey, I've spent hundreds, if not a thousand bucks to be at this convention. And, and daddy's made yeah. daddy's made twenty dollars. So, you know, <laughs> um, but sometimes sometimes that happens. So anyway. Yep. Yeah. I, yeah. I think that that's really fascinating. I, that's something I'm, I'm always trying to get better at is how do you stay in your lane? Even if you realize like your lane's not for some people. And some of those people are the, the people that are, uh, you know, the critics, the people that have the loudest voices. 
Um, yeah, so it's just, uh, yeah, I really admire that. Um, well, thanks for doing well, this, thank man. You. This was a blast. Uh, I, and it's been too long since we chat. Chatting. We ought to take, you know what we ought to do is we ought to do, um, I was at Creative Works, I think it was the very first one, and um, the Clark Brothers, you know, Invisible Creature, Mm-hmm. They they were one of the the keynote speakers and I this has always stuck with me I just thought it was the coolest thing, um, but they they did a talk one time where they just brought out a couch, and they just kind of did a Q and A and they just talked and had a conversation and I just thought that was the neatest thing because it was such a, mm-hmm. um, a an a more approachable way because you know you you see these artists where they're just like oh they're up there and I'm way down here and I just I can't even look them in the eye because my head will melt Indiana Jones style. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they did this thing where they, they just pulled this couch out and it was very informal and it was very tall. I think one of the things that would be really cool is if we're ever able to find some success with this puppet show and, and maybe, maybe not, maybe mm-hmm. if we never do it, it would be fun to bring out uh, Seth and Aaron and Luke and have, you know, maybe this stage talk where we just kind of have this very informal sit down and we just talk about it and we talk about like this, the yeah. weird stuff you were mentioning in before the podcast about how, like, uh, you know, all the stuff now about audio recording that you never even realized you needed to know. Yeah. Same thing with filming the puppets. We learned so much about cameras and microphones and monitors and all, you know, film editing that it was like, I did not want to know this stuff. And now I know it because <laughs> we had just <laughs> trial by fire. And so I think it would be really yeah. fascinating to kind of have that, talk it i don't know where we're gonna have it maybe memphis would would have us uh but mm-hmm. do a talk where we just kind of break down you know what it was like and kind of do it up as a an encouragement to anyone else out there who's wanting to try some crazy thing to be like look we didn't know what we were doing and we didn't yeah. find success but we did it anyway and look how ha- happy and healthy we are and you know i don't know yeah. if we're really that healthy or happy but you know we can we can muddle our way through it <laughs> we can photoshop it and you know yeah uh well that yeah man i think that's a great idea and and also i think it's uh i think it's early days for this i i feel uh i think it's yeah i think there's incredible things to come for wolfie monster and i know that you've been in the thick of the the cave of just making a graphic novel that is just uh, an insane feat in itself um but i uh, yeah i'm excited to see what happens and you know what if nothing ever comes of it if that were it then we got to do something really cool together and i am so appreciative that you i don't even know what the conversation was that you had with your sweet wife about coming down here (laughs) to go play with puppets at my house but yeah but at least we'll have that like that can (laughs) never be taken away we had an incredible time we ate good mexican food Uh, lots of good snacks in your yes. kitchen, uh, and now and the and the end product is something that I am so proud to have even just had the smallest hand in. So, um, you know, thanks for letting me be part of it, and I can't wait to see what happens me next. Too. Thank you, Joey Ellis, for coming on the show. I've wanted to have you on here for ages, man. You're such a good friend, and. Uh, I love the stuff that we've made together. I love being a part of your uh, pitch. And you go, go, everybody, go check out in the show notes or just go search it online. Wolfie Monsters, Wolfie Monster and the Big Pizza Battle. It's a beautiful 
graphic novel. Great for kids. Great for just an art book to have on your shelf. Go check it out. This guy is legit and it's hilarious and he's awesome. Go check it out. Thanks, Joey, for being on the show. Thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music. Thanks to Alex Sugg for our soundtrack. Thanks to Chris Graham of Chris Graham Mastering for some audio assistance when needed. And thanks to all of you for listening. Until we speak again, stay pepped up. <laughs>